That's the problem of being the sort of advisor you are, Robert. You obviously have broad shoulders that people can come and cry on. Yeah, so I don't get a lot of I don't get a lot of calls going. I am so happy here. I am just, <laughs> let me just tell you. About Hello and welcome to episode one hundred and three of Rockstar CMO FM. M is the marketing and the F is what you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, on this weekly podcast, so this is my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career from techie to CMO, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and a proud member of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday the 25th of February. I can't ignore the grim news here in Europe, and I wish all our listeners, with friends or family in the Ukraine, well. I've worked with fantastic people from that country, and this is a tragedy. And for everyone else, I hope this podcast provides a distraction from the news, and you've had a good week, and you're well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark and I will continue with the five effing marketing fundamentals. I chat with DreamData.io CMO Stefan Hedebrandt about marketing measurement and his career, and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to play the bar tap. I'll be back in a moment. After this word, we'll be right back. After this word. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, on to our first segment. My chum, Jeff Clark, is a former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester and is a sought-after marketing strategy advisor. And last week, we kicked off the five effing marketing fundamentals, and this week, we dive into branding. Hello, Jeff. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, mate? I am doing uh, I'm doing well. I have to say, I uh, just came in from... Uh you know, shoveling <laughs> a little over a half a foot of snow and yeah. uh, on a snowy Friday afternoon. Um, but uh, Friday night is whiskey night here at the Clark House. So um, splendid. Can't wait yeah. to move on. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, the, in in this house, as we'll hear in a moment or in 20 minutes, uh, it's it's gin and tonic night, as I, I, I'm expecting, because I'm doing all the recording today. So it would be... Um, It'd be Robert up next, and uh, uh, and it's pizza movie night for us. It's Friday night, so yep. uh, that's that's yeah. our, that's our happy Friday. So happy Friday! It is awfully happy Friday to everybody out there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Except if you're listening to it on 
Well, the soonest I'll listen to it. Yeah, the soonest I'll listen to it on Saturday when I spend the morning editing. But yeah, happy Saturday and happy next Friday. <laughs> and feel free to uh, enjoy this with a drink of your choice. I mean, exactly. some people enjoy cocktails. Some people like something a little yeah, stiffer. <laughs> exactly. Who wouldn't? I think it's a great idea. All right. So, um, Jeff, we started a new series off last week. Uh, the five effing fundamentals of marketing. Yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to announce it. The five oh, effing <laughs> fundamentals of marketing. <laughs> and we covered those five effing fundamentals of, of marketing. And the first one was branding. The second one was uh, just referring to my notes. Uh, uh, market research. Market research. The third one was... Uh, oh, my gosh. Storytelling, I believe. <clears throat> well, and also we gave... In, we, we, we were flogging these music analogies too, weren't we? So branding, yeah. defining the sound. Number two is market research, the muse, and what, what uh, we're being inspired by our audience. Then it was the third one was communications and influencers or the songwriters and the vocalists. And then the uh, customer life cycle, the beat, the rhythm section, being in harmony with our customers, if you remember that excellent yes. joke that I made. And number five was <laughs> <I> forgot that <laughs> one. <laughs> number five was marketing operations, the producer, the crew, and the roadies that can take this on the road. So close to my heart. Yes. I so, always wanted to be a roadie. <laughs> but also you specialize in marketing operations too. So you became yes, a did. marketing roadie. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, nice. I, and, and when I was in a band, I used to uh, cart my own equipment. So nice. Yes. Well, that was something we haven't shared with the audience yet, that you were in a band no. and you are a genuine rock star marketer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I could I could bring my guitar on a future show. <laughs> that sounds great. What we should do right, is, uh, well, I mean, and then we'd be l bereft of your musical choices, wouldn't we? So you, you I, could just play. I, no, I, it would be my choice. It's <laughs> yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would save me any uh, anxiety about licensing and, uh, and <laughs> being sued if you played the tune. That'd be great. Anyway, yes. let's carry on. So, this first one, we're going to talk about branding. So, uh, what say you, Jeff? Where do we start? Where do we start? Well, you know, as as uh, as we were doing our our uh, rock music analogies, is you know, branding is about defining the sound, and it mm -hmm. you know, it kind of starts with the answer to the question. So, who who are we, by the way? You know, yeah. and and I mean, I always like to say uh, uh, that you know, a brand is you know, a name and and potentially you know, a logo, or, you know, a graphic yeah. element that's associated yeah. with an attribute. And until until a customer or somebody gets to know you intimately, it's just it's really that simple because, you know, people can only and this isn't to say anything bad about people, but it's like they can only keep so many things in their head. Yeah. And and, you know, they're you know, they're only thinking about buying things in a certain market, you know, until it's that time. So until it's their time to, you know, do their research. We get on their journey. It's that's it. It's like, you know, I know IBM, IBM, whatever, you know, stable technology company. I know, yeah. you know, so-and-so red hot, whatever, you know, and, and it's, yeah. and um, one of the interesting, I know one of the discussions I've had through my career with, with a lot of colleagues is that, you know, oftentimes when you get into branding people, just they immediately go to uh, the consumer brands, you know, the yeah. apples and the, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and so, one of the differences always had to like help to define is that, you know, in, in business consumer, the brand is important for the product as well as the company. And so you get, and particularly if you get 
very large, you know, like a like a Procter and Gamble or a Kraft or something where they've got lots yeah. of different uh, products out there. Um, and I once had a at a at a party had a, a just a really insightful discussion with a guy who worked for Kraft, mm-hmm. and he talked about how you know sometimes we put Kraft on the brand, you know, like Kraft yeah. whatever cheese, and sometimes we hide it or we say you know mm-hmm. it's such and such a product and it's yeah. by Kraft, and then sometimes we leave Kraft totally off. The, yeah. the labeling because we don't want people to know and and you know like when you see yeah. like coke comes up with dasani water or something like that they don't want anyone to know that that product is made by coca-cola right but in business to business it's really people buy you know it's companies buying from companies and and so you know products are best you know left to be more descriptive you know yeah. amazon web services oracle analytics or something yeah. like that but it's like you really don't want to put too much emphasis on the product. You want to be focused on who is the, you know, who who's the company, what's the value of the company. Right. And again, if you're going back to that, if it's the simple formula is it's the brand name and an attribute, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. just, that's what you're focused on. And it's not that some of these companies have lots of products and lots of things that they do, but, you know, you want to make sure from a brand perspective that you're really focused on being consistent at that uh, company brand level. Right. So, so you're talking now about attribute, which I think is interesting. So that's, um, you know, that's key, isn't it? That's key. I mean, last week we were joking about being a punk band or yeah. whatever we were, right? So, yep. that, so is that is that the attribute? Is that we are, you know, yep. we're describing ourselves as the 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 um, I don't know yep. what our, 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 the rock star CMO punk band, and yeah. we've got to define that sound through those attributes. So, what do you what do you mean now by by attributes? What sort of attributes? Um, well, you know, it's, it's, um, I mean, there's, there's a couple things and as, and as much you try to, to, to roll it up to something that's fairly simple. I mean, I yeah. think there are some characteristics that, 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 you know, uh, that are important here. So one is you just, you're trying to say, you know, wh- where are we relative to competition? Uh, you know, are we the innovative company? Yeah. Are we the secure, uh, low risk solution? Are we the low cost? you know, to tend to be yeah. the low cost provider. And, and you're really from a, again, from a brand perspective for the, for the people that aren't going to like, before they delve into you, it's mm-hmm. got, it, it, it can't be multiple things. You've, right. you've, you've, you've got to focus, you got to put your, your um, focus on one, one of those attributes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really should, um, it should really tie into whatever your unique value proposition is. You know, if mm-hmm. you're the challenger in a market, you've got to define what, what kind of challenge your positioning is, is important for you to differentiate from some of the big gorillas in the market, you know, or mm-hmm. am I the second best alternative or, you know, I'm kind of like the big guy, but I'm, mm-hmm. you know, just a little bit cheap. And those are, uh, so that's really important to define and it has to be authentic. And it's kind of like the right. discussion. We're yeah, having. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. you can't be a punk band if you're not a punk, you know, yeah. Yeah. you can't be a new wave band if you're not, trying to innovate and push the envelope a little bit yeah. you can't you know yeah yeah but but you're also saying here that um this is how you define yourself the ca- the attributes and characteristics of how you define yourself in your category so we're not just a punk band we are the punk band with three guitars or we're the you know yeah we're the, the loudest punk band we're yeah, the yeah. 
whatever yeah. we're the oh, yeah we do disgusting things on stage I don't yeah know. <laughs> i really shouldn't have started down the punk band route we should have you really with your, your new wave idea was much better i, I was think. yes i i, I yeah we're, I, we're not, in that period of time i was i tilted more over to the new wave than the punk <laughs> but you're saying exactly what you're saying so to be authentic we have to live and breathe our punkiness right but, Absolutely. But, but um, are we are we then stuck with that? Is that I mean, because all organisations evolve, we change the product yeah. that we're going to create and stuff. So, nope. what do you, what do you see in that? I mean, brand, brands need to they need to evolve over time, and and obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, there there are things. This is one of the when we get into market research, this is yeah. where this will really come up because you know you and your offerings are going to evolve your customer yeah. and their needs and how they express them are going to evolve. And yeah. so, um, you know, it, your brand will evolve. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's important to do that as a conscious choice of a transition. So, mm-hmm. so again, you, you, I mean, you don't want to just like, you know, uh, hypothesize that, you know, it's like, and, and certainly I was, I mean, when I was at, um, progress software, I mean, progress mm-hmm. had, had, uh, you know, grown up in kind of an era of um, when development tools databases were just starting to get going and yeah. they were, a, they were a high reliability, high, you know, functioning yeah. uh, set of t- tools. But, you know, when you get into the two thousands now, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, that's the old stuff, you know, yeah. and all these other new things are coming on. And so it's like, okay, we've, we've got to evolve and our pro- the products evolved, but the reputation has evolved. So wh- yeah. how do we actually do the research right. to understand how we can, you know, build a new, uh, you know, a sort of a, a, a new image or a new brand that is actually, again, mm-hmm. is authentic. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then make sure we're, we're doing what we need to do, you know, whether it's changing the, you know, logo, the colors, yeah. you know, all the, all the frilly stuff. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Really, what really is more important is to change how you talk about yourself. Exactly. Because, yeah. and, and I think you and I have talked about, we've been in too many companies where it's like the, rebranding is just let's just focus on the on the colors and the logo when, mm. when it's, actually, it's more important is about how you're talking to your customer what you're saying about yeah. yourself and i think one of the challenges becomes and this was certainly a challenge when i was at progress is when you get to be a larger multi-product company you know you've acquired yeah, yeah. products you've acquired or you've, you've built new products that aren't necessarily yeah. in the category you started in then you need to be again. You got if thinking at the company level, you got to be thinking about what what am I saying that's new and different about the company. Yeah. Um, and I may also have some you know acquired yeah. brands, or I've created something that needs to be different, and, mm-hmm. and so it almost needs to be part of a different you know whatever division, yeah. uh, business unit that that has its has its own brand. Uh, and you know, a great example of this is like, uh, when IBM acquired Red Hat, I mean, so IBM mm-hmm. is the more state trusted, you know, mm-hmm. you, never, you never make a bad decision with IBM, although some people did, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then you get Red Hat. That's all about open source and being yeah. constantly innovative. And it's one of those companies that they decided not to kind of fold into, yeah. they have a lot of acquired products that they just kind of folded into an IBM stack. Red Hat exists there out on its own, uh, you know, and still, you know, it's an IBM company, but you don't you don't necessarily associate that with the IBM brand. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think that's 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 a great point. And of course, when you're talking about brand there, we're not talking just about the colors and stuff. We're talking about how we talk, but also about how people we how we want people to talk about us. Right. 
Absolutely. Um, that definition of the brand being the thing that people say when you're not in the room. And I think, yep. and I think that, that Red Hat IBM thing uh, example is really good because I don't think of Red Hat as an IBM company. And yet, how long have they been an IBM company uh, forever? Right? So, probably 10 years or so. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I think, I think you make a really good point there. And also, but, but one of the fears there about brands transitioning and changing the message is I think a lot of marketers... Um, don't aren't in it for the long haul sometimes, and they keep changing oh, every sort of absolutely. three months or a year or something like that. How do you balance that? Because to, how, how do you define a brand that says to yourself, well, this is what I'm going to be, and I'm still going to be this in two years' time? I, I think, um, so one, I'm just going to, uh, you know, affirm what you said, because I think that's too often marketers are, I don't know. It, 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 it's like, and this is true with campaigns. This is true with all kinds of things. It's like we we get tired of things before the market or the company, the customers get tired of them. Yeah. And and so it's like we keep wanting to push onto something new. Mm-hmm. But I think this is this is where um, uh, measuring um, the effectiveness of your brand and doing the market research, you know, so I guess the measuring the effectiveness would be more of your first party research, but you need to do third party research to understand how the, how the market you are serving change is changing. Um, and, 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 you know, frankly, I mean, that's my experience is the companies don't do enough of, of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not, and it's not particularly easy um, to do, but you, but I think what's important is to understand that brand is not just, you know, uh, mm-hmm. name recognition and it's like oh if you think about whatever you know open source tools who do you think of it is yeah. there's an a, a, there is an element of the awareness which is certainly yeah. true and what's the reach of your awareness you know how far yeah. are different audiences there's the perception so what do people associate you with and, and particularly yeah. the two things what market do they associate you being in and what attributes do they associate with you and yeah. so seeing how those are evolving I mean, you can, you can, that's where you can see that maybe the perception is not changing with right. the reality that you see as you're providing to the market. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then the, the other major set of, uh, of sort of brand metrics is preference. So, mm-hmm. you know, will customers buy from me again? Uh, will they be a reference for me? Will they advocate for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and all three of these things, awareness, perception, and preferences are things, I mean, in typical, the old, Brand surveys were, you know, mm. whether it's focus groups or phone mm. surveys or whatever, where you go to large numbers of people and you try to get this information. But there's lots of ways that you can, you know, particularly with social tracking and social media yeah. um, and, and looking at metrics. You know, uh, I know one of the comments, you know, you made before is, you know, I mean, the, the improving your brand improves the, the metrics of all of your other activities, you know, your yeah. your your pay-per-click statistics, your search statistics. And yeah. so looking at some, you know, picking a couple of those key um, uh, metrics and seeing mm. how they evolve, are they, they're evolving over time, maybe tracking them against things like revenue or your demand success gets, you know, that helps, that gives marketers the ability right. to make good decisions about how they're evolving the brand as right. opposed to bad decisions right right so just um just pause for a second there so we're talking about measuring brand success uh, we're m- talking about measuring awareness perception and preference and also i like that because last week we were saying about how you know if you've been around for a while as a band 
you know the crowd wants to hear your hits not the new music so this is what you're saying here isn't it that you've got to listen and be very um and yep. understand which of those hits your audience wants to hear and how do you then transition them into your new music and, and get them to yep. be thinking about that right That's and then all, all the mechanics of a set list <laughs> yeah, and then um and then um, we moved a little bit into the why i mean why is this important why, why is it important that um that we that we do this well, I think uh, so. You know, one we kind of just touched on is that it, mm. the brand is a multiplier for mm. the effectiveness of other uh, marketing and selling activities. Yeah. Um, and so, if your brand is degrading, if you will, or mm. not keeping pace with um, with how you and the market are evolving, then yeah. then you're you're going to suffer. And um, so, again, it's important to understand where you are and do whatever is required to move, change those perceptions about how you talk about yourself and how you talk to your customers. Mm -hmm. um, and frankly, it's just it's important for the whole company because every particularly every customer facing uh, role in a company from yeah. customer service and support and uh, sales and uh, professional services, you know, whatever anyone touching a customer uh, is, they're delivering an impression, and yeah. um, it's it's just really important to make sure that that it's consistent. and And this is where you know, I mean, it's so often uh, it can, it can go wrong, and, and particularly in companies that that have um, evolved from acquisition it, it mm -hmm. becomes very complicated because you may have customers from the different product groups and what yeah. what how are you reinforcing the brand of the the new collective company and yeah. and we I, I did a I worked with a company that um, optum uh, that, that this story goes a few years back but they mm -hmm. they had um, 600 different products they had six different divisions they had they had acquired a lot of different um, healthcare, not just um, insurance, but healthcare kind of delivery and, and consulting uh, mm -hmm. products, technology. So, get this very complex organization that actually sits under United Healthcare, which is another gigantic organization, and yeah. and their customers and the salespeople were telling the executives that they're just overwhelmed and confused because yeah. the because like the, the different divisions. You know, it's like every time a new product came out, it's like boom, new product, and here's yeah. what it does, and 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 without any kind of consistent wrapper around who the company is and what they're trying to do, mm -hmm. uh, and consistency of communication, it's just like you're you're yeah. uh, you're de you're degrading your effectiveness of everything you do, and that's what they found is when they kind of made the transition, and from a brand perspective, from an advertising, from a from a, even a campaign execution perspective, all of a sudden they were able to get better results from less activity. Right. Uh, right. And, and so um, I think it's really, that's really important. It's also, I mean, one of the other things that the, you know, experiences I had is that when I was at, at, at progress and we were, and again, we had this kind of traditional database and development platform. Uh, and at one point and, and Acquired a bunch of companies, and at one point we we realized we actually had to define and and rename this development platform. Mm -hmm. So one kind of it's almost kind of an exception to the rule, but and we we labeled it Open Edge, and it was it it actually became kind of a um, 
it actually made the, the the division itself, you know, feel better about what it was doing because it's like we have a new image. We're you know we're going forward with a kind of a different upgraded message to the to the our audience. The customers liked it. It's like it was it seemed like kind of a natural evolution of where that particular product line, which was a the lion's share of the the um, revenue for the company. So it's um so that's where it kind of can have an internal kind of a boosting and motivational effect as well as simplifying the message and 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 improving or updating the message to the customer. Mm, yes, uh, absolutely. And an um, awful lot there, Jeff. <laughs> um, and so I think the, I think it's impo- the why is important because like you were saying there, the, the, having a good brand multiplies your other marketing activities. I think that's a very good point. But also, I mean, it starts with the employees, isn't it? But particularly when you're yep. talking about um, highly acquisitive companies getting people onboarded and representing the brand and feeling the brand themselves amongst the uh, the internal community is important too. Um, yeah, and then and that, and that goes to your Optum story where everybody's just confused and overwhelmed. Uh, so if you don't get it right, so that, that's so that's a really good kickoff for branding and it's a huge topic to cover in twenty minutes or twenty. One we're minute, because we've done so far. But... <clears throat> we're going to have to come back to different aspects. So. Yeah, I think in so. the near future, I think so. So, uh, so this week, what song are you going to go with, Jeff? I'm going to go with a song um, called "Brand New Day." Obviously, yeah. it has the term "brand" in the topic. <laughs> well done. Um, and uh, but it and and you know as is often one of the things that's a challenge in picking songs is so many of the songs are about love and relationships. And, but this is about, you know, the uh, sting who wrote it was, you know, was trying to, as he says, turn the clock all the way back. I wonder if she would take me black back. I'm thinking in a brand new way. So he's like, he's trying to rebrand himself. And certainly as a musician, I mean, there's one of the, more successful because I, I think he's still making some money yeah. <laughs> a guy who you know rebrand himself from the you know the face of a of a new wave uh band from the you know late 70s early 80s that was yeah. extremely successful then he kind of jumps into this kind of jazz new agey yeah, yeah. you know fusiony type guy and and uh you know uh and certainly and very talented but but certainly he made a uh conscious brand evolution yeah yeah, no, and the, the interesting thing when you, because uh, we do a little bit of prep for the show, um, when you when you suggested Brand New Day, um, I actually was working at a company in 1999 that rebranded, and when they announced the rebrand in the conference room to the whole company, underneath our seat, stuck to the bottom of it, was the CD Brand New Day by Sting. So it's, <laughs> I, I thought it was amazing when you It's coming full that. circle. It is coming full circle. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Jeff. And so next week we will be going to our next of our five effing right. marketing fundamentals. Or Which marketing. effing one was this one? <laughs> the next one is, is, is our muse, is, our, is, our, is how we our get muse. inspired, our market research, our customer insights. So I look forward to that, awesome. mate. And uh, so I'll see you next week. Awesome. See you then. Have a good week, mate. See Thank you, Jeff. And that was Brand New Day by Sting from 1999. 
Let us know what you think of this new series. If you have suggestions, get in touch. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, or email us at hello at rockstarcmo.com. Right, on to my guest. Stefan Hedebrandt is the co-founder and CMO at Dream Data, a B2B revenue attribution platform which enables algorithmic decision-making in marketing and sales. Stefan has a successful track record of scaling businesses and building teams, previously holding marketing and commercial leadership positions at Upwork and Airtame. And as you'll hear, his startup and entrepreneurial experience means Stefan knows the pain points of rapidly scaling marketing and growth firsthand. It was great to geek out on the topic of measurement and attribution. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Stefan. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Hi, Ian. I'm, I'm good. It's, uh, it's Friday afternoon here, so I'm about to, yeah. to head off to the weekend. Nice, nice. And you're joining us from Copenhagen? That's correct. Copenhagen, Denmark. Yeah, yeah, nice. And um, tell us a little bit about yourself for the people that haven't heard of you. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> still most people haven't. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so ever since uh, I left uh, university, I've been working in um, in B two B companies. I've mm-hmm. always been working in companies that are, um, you know, where digital and the internet has played a, a large role in uh, in everything. Mm-hmm. So, and then most of yeah, all the companies has then been you know startups to scale up. So mm-hmm. so th- so those three components uh, you know color a lot of a lot of my thinking about everything we're going to talk about today. So yeah. just kind of <laughs> so and then yeah you know I started out uh, uh, as a marketer and worked my way up to you know a marketing leader. Now I'm a, I'm a co-founder at this current company where mm-hmm. uh, you know we started three guys together and we're closing in on, on 30 people now and uh, in the wow. beginning I, I did all the sales and i did all the marketing and yeah just recently i've transitioned into only doing marketing and left the left the sales work behind and mm-hmm. uh, there's been a lot of a uh, lot of experiences uh, and learnings and failures <laughs> both selling and leading sales and, uh, yeah. and those kind of things which i'm very grateful now but uh, yeah it was also painful at head point. <laughs> tell, tell us about that current company you just referred to, Dream Data. What is it that you guys do? So at Dream Data, we're essentially we're building a go-to-market data platform for our customers. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that we, we set up a, a data warehouse on behalf of our customers, which mm-hmm. basically contains uh, or aims to contain every single digital touch of mm-hmm. every account that you deal with. So that's typically that's your CRM data, your marketing automation data, your ads data, your customer success tool, mm-hmm. uh, everything that takes place on your website, etc. Yeah, and and then given you know as much as you can about uh, the di- digital traces of your customers, then you can try to analyze uh, which marketing campaigns are working, which yeah. ad, ad groups are good, uh, what pieces of content works, etc. Yeah. So it, it's, it's like the people we sell to are predominantly marketers mm-hmm. because I think, uh, or, or yeah, given the, the nature of B2B, there's just a lot of pain uh, yeah. involved in explaining the value of what you do because... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's That's like true. Fundamentally, we often, as marketers, sit 
early in the journey and the salespeople sit late in the journey. Uh-huh. So they have an easier time going to the, the CEO and say, look at the contract I just signed. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the marketer would argue that look at the 47 touches of marketing that led them mm-hmm. to your demo call or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So, so we, we're essentially mostly helping marketers understand whether their activities connect mm-hmm. to pipeline yes. generation and to revenue uh, it's really important, though, isn't it? Cause, I mean, that's the thing that we're finding most painful as masters is attribution, isn't it? And, and that attribution model. So, how does how does it work for you? Are you are you is, is it helping people figure out the attribution of what actually drove a sale then through the process? Um, yes, yeah, so we're help, helping them connect uh, the journeys across mm-hmm. a lot of you know six months, twelve months time uh, across. Uh, many different stakeholders across in and out of teams inside of your own company. Mm-hmm. So essentially every touch gets a, a timestamp and gets put into the, the, mm-hmm. the process of, uh, you know, that account. Yeah. And that, you know, that you can use to, if you can use to that to look at what was the very first touch of this account. Yeah. Was it an ad? Uh, was it somebody who posted something on LinkedIn? Yeah. Was it a piece of content that generated an organic visit from Google, etc.? Yeah. And, and this thing about actually knowing the true origin source and not just kind mm. of the original source field in the CRM, which constantly yeah. is flipped, flipped from team to team. Yeah. You know, that is, you know, a, a very uh, big differentiator if you yeah. actually know uh, what is actually starting the journeys for a company. Yeah. Because that enables you to, you know, to re- repeat it, mm-hmm. to do it. <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. This Google search ad keyword consistently starts journeys. Yeah. Let's put more money into this one. Or yeah. this type of con- content always brings in new deals. So we yeah. should look to produce more of these deals. Yeah. And then let, let me just be already here. The, the first to say that we're never, ever going to get you to knowing a hundred percent of what's going on right. <laughs> <laughs> because i think that that's the kind of black and white dialogue you often yeah. see on linkedin that yeah you cannot track everything and then everything is wrong yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's not like that it's it's about trying to know as much as you can mm-hmm. to go from knowing 10 15 20 percent to knowing 50 60 yeah 70 percent yeah. Because that will still support your decision making, and it will mm. still give you confidence to scale certain things and yeah. and stop other things. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And the what, do you? Um, I mean, a lot of marketers are doing are trying to do this kind of stuff with tools like um, Tableau and stuff like that. Are you pulling together all the data of the systems that we already have, and then bringing them into Dream Data and surfacing it? Yeah. So <clears throat> essentially, you know, yeah, I've read somewhere that most. At, in average, companies have like 10 different tools involved mm. in, in going mm. to market. Mm-hmm. And all of these tools are, in, in, in essence, uh, data silos. Yeah. And what we do is that we plug into all these tools and pull yeah. all the data over to us and then clean it up and organize it into a nice uh, chronological timeline. Yeah. So in the, I think what we're really doing is that we're relieving because this is essentially this is not a project that marketers has the skills to do. This is mm. a data uh, engineer mm. uh, yeah. job. Yeah. So so you pay us to for our algorithms to do this yeah. the heavy lifting, and then you can access the clean data uh, right. with like easy to understandable analysis. Right. 
Right. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, a lot of uh, marketing is becoming data science, isn't it? So if you've got tools that can help you Completely. with that, then yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you got, what caught my eye when we were prepping for this call, and you just mentioned it just now about content analytics. Now, as a content yeah. marketer, and I talked to a lot of content marketers on the show, I felt that was that was really important. Why? What, what is it that your clients are finding so important about better content analytics that you're providing? Yes. So, so let me just explain the the concept of what we're doing. So, first of all, we ha- we connect to the CRM system, so we know every pipeline stage of every account. Yeah. So we have, uh, you know, a timeline of how far they progress, and we have also the monetary value of the account. Mm-hmm. This we connect uh, together with uh, the knowledge that we have a script that we put on your website, and mm-hmm. they will. Anonymously, anonymously track uh, every page that you view, mm-hmm. and then at some point you then uh, submit a form mm-hmm. in the you know maybe a demo call, a newsletter, yeah. or ebook or whatever. Uh, yeah. And at this point of time, we get uh, we ask for consent yeah. to look at what you did while you were anonymous. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't matter whether you were there only one time or five times on the website. Right. We'll have a log of every URL you have yeah. viewed. So given we know that all the URLs that an account has uh, mm-hmm. has watched, yeah. then we can also do an analysis of when we win accounts in this company, these are the URLs that are consistently present, mm-hmm. or these are the uh, you know uh, ebook downloads that are consistently yeah, yeah, present, yeah. present within an account that you win. Yeah. And uh, when, when I then I started applying this to our uh, own pipeline, which... It's fairly simple. It's marketing qualified leads, it's sales qualified leads, and then it's one deals. Mm-hmm. Then I could see certain URLs were actually often present when they produced marketing qualified leads, mm-hmm. but they were maybe only you know too light or you know yeah too low intent because they never progressed to becoming sales qualified or wow. one deals. But on the other hand side, there were certain URLs that were uh, present when we win deals, mm-hmm. and let me mention. Four, which I found uh, yeah. interesting, that were not kind of traffic drivers or right. places you put traffic, yeah. but they were just consistently there because the account had done some research. Yeah, um, the first one was uh, integrations. Mm-hmm. I can imagine uh, with a tool like yours, yeah, yeah because yeah. does it plug yeah. into the text tag at our yeah. account? Yeah, it was the uh, the about page. Yeah. Yeah. Which also kind of makes sense because our deal size is, a, is fairly large and you know mm-hmm. we're not that old a company. So you're yeah. probably trying to do your due diligence of yeah. can I, can I who, who are these guys. guys? Yeah. 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 And then two more. Uh, the first one being a, a URL called community, which mm-hmm. links to an open Slack channel we have mm-hmm. where you can get support, yeah. which we had absolutely no idea that, that was important. Yeah. And then the last thing which, which kind of caught us by surprise was our 404 page. It's actually <laughs> also consistently present when, when we win deals. Wow. And I, I think for me, it's probably a signal that if you uh, are super interested in this product yeah. and seriously considering then because you do so much, much research on the website, then at, yeah. at some place you'll trigger a, a right. 404 page, right. which I just found super funny. And then I think I that's looked... really interesting. Yeah. The, 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 um, the, the, the symbol, the s- a signal of, of intent and commitment is the fact they've read all of your content and now they've even read the 404 page because yeah, they've looked for everything. Yeah. That's it's really incredible. funny. Yeah. 
and there's uh, like that page for three years old and super ugly. So that also yeah. triggered a project of, Oh, we should probably <laughs> make that nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make it a yeah. little bit nicer. Yeah. So, so, so on analytics is built upon given that we, you know, yeah. at least conceptually know every URL that your account yeah. has watched. We can also look at specifically the accounts that you win, yeah. which URLs have they looked at? Yeah. Uh, so that that's how we we think about content analytics. That's really interesting. And um, I've 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 gone on too long about your tool. I was just found it completely fascinating. So let, let's uh, yeah. uh, let's talk a little bit about you about you. And I also saw that um, on LinkedIn that you're part of this move. Well, it's, it's turning into a movement. I think of deleting Google <laughs> Analytics from your website. Um, yeah. I had a conversation with a, a marketer in in uh, in my group where in my day job that's that's doing the same thing because of what's happening in france and i think in austria in terms yeah. of gdpr so how have you found that experience and it was it was it gdpr that led you to delete google analytics so i think uh, kind of the uh, the gdpr thing were kind of the the last push we needed uh-huh. because I, I, I think my ga usage has been declining over the last couple of years yeah particularly as you're because we're in, in B2B SaaS, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Google Analytics just doesn't have that much to offer compared to if you're in B2C and, you know, yeah. if you run, run e-commerce, it's kind of yeah. click an ad, go to a yeah. website, buy the product. Yeah. In, in B2B, we're looking at, you know, six plus months, mm-hmm. multiple devices, multiple stakeholders, et cetera. And Google yeah. Analytics didn't ha- have much to offer there anymore. And right. It didn't have a revenue component because the revenue sits in the CRM system. Of course, yeah. So, but uh, the, the last push was definitely this thing that the EU now is starting to uh, address privacy concerns. I don't know if it's EU or at least it's Austria and it's France and it's yeah. I think Denmark has uh, the public uh, websites have also now deleted Google Analytics. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Instead of it. Uh, being deemed completely illegal, <laughs> let's <laughs> yeah. just uh, get rid of it. Yeah, it's and, and it's really interesting because I mean, Google Analytics is practically the crack pipe that most of us marketers are hooked onto, isn't it? So, how have you found I've the experience been, once you got rid of it? Yes, yeah, so I think I started it in two thousand and six or something like that, and I can still remember that you could yeah. see the keyword that people yeah. search for instead of Google Analytics. That, that was wonderful back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, to be honest, I don't do it. I've, I've not missed it, uh, really. We, yeah. we do our own. Um, so that our kind of, uh, what we then do is we, we do our own tracking and store that in a, yeah. a data warehouse. Yeah. And then we use Google Data Studio to build certain reports yeah. and other reports we build inside of Amplitude uh, yeah. instead. Yeah. Which when I wrote that, then other people at LinkedIn said, "Hey, what about Amplitude?" <laughs> oh, nice. And then it kind of it, it kind of spirals, and yeah, yeah. you can see at least Amplitude has set up uh, data centers in the EU now, trying to kind of right because right, the, right. the thing is that uh, PII data is not allowed to leave the the European Union. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So so that and for what Google Analytics, as far as I understand it, was that they were storing IP addresses in servers right. in the US. So right. I think that was. The, that was the thing. So you'll probably see a game from them also starting with yeah, yeah. data centers in the EU. It was a little bit cat and mouse game, but yeah. fundamentally it was kind of stay compliant and uh, also have some look at metrics that are more relevant for a B2B mm-hmm. company. Yeah, yeah. And then um, back on to your career, um, 
you've had quite a varied career, a lot of it in commercial, which I thought was interesting. And you mentioned that just earlier about the fact that you, you've been in sales. How have you found that experience helping you um, to, to, be in, to be a CMO? And what inspired you to get into marketing in the first place? Hmm. Uh, good question. So what got me started was probably just uh, necessity <laughs> <laughs> because we were, I joined a, a super small startup called Vintage and Rare, which is kind of this, uh, you know, just eat, but for music, vintage music instrument shops and mm-hmm. kind of the, my partner, he, he was the guy who sold and talked to the shops. And then I had to figure out the, uh, we had like more than 10,000 instruments uh, on the page. So we needed to get them to rank in Google, et cetera. Yeah, so yeah. started to build it deep down into SEO uh, at my first job and then yeah. just spiraled into other stuff. Yeah. And what I would say about how I think about marketing is that I'm obsessed about it producing revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very, uh, you know, I would call it narrow minded on that. Which, yeah. You know, yeah can be a little bit, you know, some, maybe it's because I've never had, maybe it's just because I've always worked in, you know, not too big companies. Where, yeah. Yeah. Because when, when you work with a limited bank account, yeah. marketing needs, needs to produce revenue. Absolutely. Absolutely. You work in enterprises. It's maybe not the same role that you play in marketing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so uh, yeah. Coming you've got that. Now. You've got that clear view, then, haven't you? And um, when you're in <laughs> yes. smaller organisations, from investment to sales, right? And you can't hide. It's not like if you're working in a large organisation and you're just focused. You're just one cog in that whole thing. You can't see the whole no. journey. Whereas when you work with a smaller organisation, you can definitely do that. And that's when marketing yeah. has to be an investment, right? It's not. But, but yeah, yeah. but I've then learned that dream that because I was the only salesperson initially, mm-hmm. uh, and then did my first couple of hundred demo calls and 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 all that stuff then yeah you know i used to just have an eye for pushing people to the website converting Mm -hmm. them and then let let the salespeople take take over from there yeah but i've become much more focused on producing high quality so right you don't get salespeople to sit in a meeting of you know non-ideal customer profiles yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, and you know so, uh, marketing is also enabling sales with nice slide decks, a yeah. website that uh, handles FAQs, that produces case studies, etc. Yeah. So, I used to be very like just focused on you know pushing the demand in and converting mm-hmm. it, but now it's kind of okay. What comes yeah. after the the demo yeah. call conversion and yeah. how do we yeah. make life easier for salespeople? Yeah, and it kind of goes back to that point you were making earlier on when you were talking about content analytics and the customer journey. Nowadays. There's a you know there's so much written and talked about the for how much B two B buyers how much content they consume along that journey right so you're yeah. right it, the website's purpose is no longer just capture the lead close the lead you know and then we can close the lead offline it's still part of that nurture process that education isn't it of of the buyer as they go through that journey so nowadays I I, I try to make our website answer any question you might mm-hmm. have related yeah, to our yeah. product yeah. because like why not make that information available yeah. so you skip the meeting until they have educated themselves well yeah. enough to talk should we yeah. make a deal or not yeah, yeah. And, and i feel it myself as well just you know i don't want to talk to a sales guy <laughs> no. before i have made the decision to almost buy the product yeah absolutely and i think that a lot of people feel that way and the other thing i think that people forget about this is actually when you're wasting a sales guy's time, you know, 
the, the mo- a really good sales guy, the second favorite answer is no, right? So they can just move yeah. on and get on with things. And if you can get people to self-qualify out of your pipeline through the website, and this is just not for us, then you've saved everybody a load of time as well, haven't you? And actually, you know, also your marketing return on ad spend yeah. also depends on the quality of the lead because yeah, sure. spend a lot of money, acquire poor leads, that yeah. means poor our return on yeah. ad yeah. High quality leads means, you know, yeah. conversions, sales, and it means you're, you look better as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we have a lot of uh, conversations on the show about the fact that senior marketers need to make themselves relevant to the rest of the C-suite, which is why CMO churn is so high. It's because we, t- we talk, you know, marketing bollocks all the time when we should be talking about revenue and those kind of statistics. So I think it's, you know, those kinds of metrics rather that the C-suite cares uh, yeah. about. So uh, I think that's good. I really think more marketing and the sales team should move into the same room. Yeah, as yeah, like, yeah. Like listen to what the salespeople are experiencing. Absolutely. Go have a pint, have an extra pint or two with the salespeople. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the only way you can also find out what's the what's the best um, being the best answer to your consu- to your customer's question, right? Yeah. Our sales. What do they get asked in every every call? You know. So we need to stick that yeah. on the website. Well, that's excellent. I've really enjoyed the conversation so far. I'm going to come to the final question now, Stefan. Uh, we yep. have a regular feature on the Rockstar CMO called Rockstar CMO Swim Pool. In tribute to all the rock stars that swim things <laughs> in hotel swim pools, but it's our portal to marketing health for overhyped trends, BS, and snake oil from this marketing industry we love. I've given you a little bit of time to think about it there. What would you like to see chucked into our pool? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it depends on, on the, the day on of the day. The, or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the hour or the browsing LinkedIn, I would almost say. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, let me, I would say marketing activities that are both non-explainable and non-provable related mm-hmm. to revenue should yeah. just stop. Yeah. I see so many people talking about that. You need to do demand generation or brand or communication or yeah. and saying that. But I promise you, if it's good quality marketing, mm-hmm. maybe there will not be massive proof, but there will at least be some yeah. clicks from your branded campaign on yeah. facebook that went on to become deals yeah. so don't let me hear about campaigns that cannot be you know yeah tracked in some sense yeah because if it's quality marketing then it leaves trace it is not completely on on trackable right. right right i love it i love it so untrackable marketing that we shouldn't be doing We'll be going into our pool. I love it. Thank you, Stefan. And when people da- spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you and Dream Data? Yeah, Dream Data is just dreamdata.io. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, they can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and ask uh, any questions. Essentially, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fairly active there and happy to help with anything I can. Yeah, splendid. Thank you, Stefan. And I'll include all your, sh- your links in the show notes. And nice to speak to you. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your Friday, Stefan. I'll speak like to you. Likewise, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Stefan. Enjoyed that. A nice looking platform. And having worked with small businesses and startups, I agree that this is, is marketing in the raw, that the marketing budget has to be seen as an investment that delivers a return. I will, of course, include all of Stefan's links and to Dream Data in the show notes that you can find on rockstarcmo.fm. Right, time to wind down for the week. And where better than the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with a man once described as a likeable Mark Ritson and to join my friend and content marketing guru Robert Rose, the chief troublemaker at the content advisory to be transported away with a cocktail and a marketing thought. Mm-hmm.
Vinnie Roberts, what are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you for the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. We, well, let's see. This this week, um, we have a lovely addition. I decided to get fancy. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's, it's a thing, right, to get, you know, feeling good about the weather. Um, mm-hmm. Things in the world are not great right now, of course. Yeah. You know, <laughs> don't need to acknowledge that at the moment, but... Um, but the, yeah. but the drink we're going to have is a fancy thing um, because I was reminded uh, mm-hmm. that we have just I, – I, I completely missed it somehow, but I, we just passed Mardi Gras. Um, oh, wow. So I thought it might be kind of fun to do something with bourbon. Nice. Uh, and I found this um, and tried it, and I'm going to make it for us tonight uh, because it's a, it's a very, very tasty cocktail. It takes a little bit of work. Um, but, uh, it, you know, what, what worth things that are worth it do. Um, yes. and it's called a bourbon peach julep. Um, Ooh. and so hang with me here because it's a little complicated. Basically what you do is you have, uh, your bourbon, whatever favorite bourbon you like, probably not the best bourbon in the entire world because it is a cocktail after all. So it's not mm-hmm. one that you're going to normally spend a lot of money on to drink straight. So it's a cocktail oriented bourbon that you have, but your favorite bourbon, and then basically two um, peaches, um, and you slice them. Now, mm-hmm. other stone fruit will work just as well if you don't have <laughs> right. access to, to peaches, but peaches mm-hmm. I found taste really lovely. Mm-hmm. And then again, the recipe typically calls for some sort of syrup. I think the peaches add enough sweetness without adding anything, but again, yeah. you know, I'm a lack of sugar guy that way. But then yeah. you take mint or basil if you have it. Um, mint, I like better than basil, but you know, either is fine. Mix those things together Uh and make a basic emulsion, you know, whether you, you know, push that into a blender or you push that all together or whatever it Uh is, and then pour in your bourbon over the rocks. Uh, and you have made yourself a bourbon peach julep. Um, and it is entirely tasty. I have to say. That sounds delicious. And did uh, did you invent that? Is that I did weird? not invent that. No, I, I I found that in a. I was doing. I was reading about Mardi Gras, and I found it in a uh, in an article that I was reading about Mardi Gras, and I thought nice. that sounds lovely. I'm going to try That's- and make that. That sounds yeah, that sounds really nice. So I'm going to attempt to make that very drink uh, yes. using the uh, ingredients on my desktop bar. Um, so uh, I'm going to start off with some ice. Yes, I that's think, a I think we're, close thing we're, to not peaches, but yes. It's, uh, <laughs> and um, I shall use the most English of bourbons, as we know, uh, when I look at my desktop bar. Uh, it's Hendrix Gin. Ah, yes, indeed. Hendrix the clearest gin. of all bourbons. <laughs> yes, exactly. I do like a bourbon, actually. I was in a bar last night and people were drinking whiskey sours. Uh, I didn't partake in one of those, but uh, I saw the bourbon being sloshed about. So there's a bit of gin, and then um, and then you made an emulsion. I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, just pushing it all around. I mean, you can also use one of the slices or some of your mint as garnish. Nice. Um, but you know, you want to get the taste of that stuff in there and not make it a, you know, not make it a mess. Um, right. So okay. I like to sort of mix it all together into a nice flavored uh, cocktail, as it were. Yeah. Right. Yes. Well, I've just opened. Um, an emulsion that's been pre-made for me ah. uh, by the good people of Fever Tree, and they I called see. it cucumber tonic yes. water. So, 
it's it's got essence of sorts of peaches. Some sort of emulsion <laughs> stuff. Yes. Let me let me sling a bit of that in there. All right, nice. Give that a sip. Mmm, that is truly delicious, Robert. That is very reminiscent of Mardi Gras. What are we calling this? Yeah, there you go. We, th- we, we should throw some beads and yes. get our tops off or something, I think. Yes. Yeah, I've already got my top off. Well, I'm <laughs> one cocktail and I'm good enough. <laughs> what? And what are we calling this? We call them that the bourbon peach julep. Mm. And I think the julep is, is for the mint that we're adding in as a, gar- a garnish there. Nice. I could drink these every week. Yes. I and indeed, I, I think you have. Yes. So are we drinking these at Mardi Gras or are we going Oh to- yes, I think you know in terms of where mm-hmm. we're going I think we have to go yes. to New Orleans. I we haven't yes. um you know New Orleans typically is not my favorite spot in the world. I I, right. I I am not the big fan of New Orleans, but you know for very specific purposes mostly which is drinking in Mardi Gras, New Orleans is a <laughs> wonderfully fun city. It's a bit like Vegas, right? If you're purpose yeah. driven, it can yes. be a fun place to visit, but it's not somewhere I normally like to go. No, no, but so, so I've actually never been to New Orleans, and it's it's on my list of places that, I, and I've been to many places in the U.S. and uh, not theirs, which is a bit of a shame. I've been ah. to Memphis, which uh, I guess is the closest I can think of that I've been to. So the so we're uh, we're probably barely able to hear each other talking and over the cacophony of Mardi Gras. Uh, but what are we going to be discussing once we've chucked our beads around and taken our tops off? Well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a topic that I was thinking of, uh, a a couple of weeks ago, actually. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, I, you know, it's, it's around writing, right? It's Mm -hmm. around creating content. Um, are you familiar? So I, and, and forgive me if this is truly a, a, uh, us, uh, thing, um, Mm -hmm. with the phrase, it's time to make the donuts. Yes. Well, you know why I'm familiar with that? It's because you used to say it a lot. There you go. There you go. I thought it was a you thing rather than an American thing. No, it's so an American thing. No, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's definitely an American thing, and it's and it's mostly an American business thing. And, mm-hmm. and the phrase itself um, has become a bit of a cliche or a trope, if you will. Yeah. Um, and it's from the eighties um, when there was a uh, TV ad, very very popular television campaign. Mm-hmm. In fact, it ran for almost ten years. Um, for Dunkin' Donuts, mm-hmm. and and the Dunkin' Donuts had uh, a, a campaign called "It's Time to Make the Donuts," and it was basically now it's considered you say it's time to make the donuts when you're having to do something repetitive or grueling mm-hmm. or meaningless in your job, like you know oh, it's time to go make the donuts, right? You know, mm-hmm. time to go do the same thing I've been doing for years, that kind of thing. And yeah. the interesting thing to me was that that's a complete misreading of the original message in the commercial. Um, because the ad itself, um, there was this character that they called Fred the Baker. And mm-hmm. Fred the Baker was this sort of put-upon guy, you know, very sort of every every man kind of looking, you know, n- neither handsome nor ugly nor, you know, mm-hmm. sort of anything. He was just sort of woke up every single morning, every day, <laughs> and repeated his mantra, you know, sort of, you know, sleepily gets out of bed, time to make the donuts, gets out of the shower, time to make the donuts, takes his breakfast, time to make the donuts. And then at the end of the ad, you see Fred greeting his customers saying, time to make the donuts with a big smile. And he's proud and and really loves his, it's clear that he loves his job. Mm -hmm. And so 
in the ad, time to make the donuts wasn't a lament about doing something menial and repetitive every day. It was basically illustrating Fred's commitment to doing something special every day. Yeah. And that tension um, between content and content creators is something that I've really noticed over the last few years, which is there is a real difference in creating content that we are inspired by that is special and the content that has to be constructed, which is quite frankly important to the business, but nobody gives a crap. Mm -hmm. And uh, so as an example of that, and this was what I was doing a couple of weeks ago, there was this young writer at a B2B organization, B2B technology company. And she was telling me about her career path and she'd been, you know, she'd worked at an agency and she wrote brilliant articles and blog posts for all of her B2B clients at this agency. And she was great. And, and a couple of years later, she moved to content marketing at a very large tech company and Mm -hmm. she loved her job. She got to, you know, write short form news and long form papers about industry trends and dig into the industry and interview people. And she loved it. And it was, you know, sort of day after day, but then the company reorganized a couple of times and she found herself sort of, you know, in the web team now. And she was editing, not really writing very much, but she was doing editing and sort of, you know, shaping some of the more technical specifications, documentation, some of the, you know, product, how to help, et cetera and not loving her job so much. And she asked her manager about the possibility of sort of expanding her assignments that she was getting tasked with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And her boss basically coldly replied and said, look, writers are writers and writing is writing. And I can tell you from the, from experience that the first statement is true. You know, writers are writers, but the second is definitely not true. Um, Writing all writing is not writing. And not surprisingly, she left. She left the company because it was just not going to, you know. Mm. And so in this, you know, what are you, whether you want to call it like this great resignation era or the talent acquisition importance or whatever we're doing, one of the things that we need to recognize as hiring managers, as marketers, as communicators, as agency owners or whatever we're doing is that finding and retaining great content talent, you have to balance these content creators between what I call creating content or constructing content, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we think about creating content, and there's a wonderful quote um, that I just absolutely adore. In fact, I've got it printed out on my desk, which is actually comes from a critique of of Charles Dickens' uh, Pickwick Papers. And, Mm -hmm. um, And the quote is basically, Something created is different from something constructed because something created is loved before it exists. Something constructed can only be loved after it exists. Oh, wow. Yeah. What I love so much about that is, is that that's the key, right? When we write a white Mm -hmm. paper or we write whatever, you know, creative ideas, we love those ideas before they actually are on paper or on the screen or whatever. And we talk about them and we collaborate. And it's what gets us out of bed every day. When we construct something, as important as it may be, you know, mm-hmm. that contract, that compliance issue, the, you know, the one sheet on the specifications of a technical documentation, it's yeah. important, but it can only be loved because of the function that it serves after it's created. Nobody gets out of right. bed excited to do that. And that's the difference. 
And we have to balance those things because I was working with a company not long ago where they were saying, hey, we're going to hire all these content creators and do all these wonderful things with, you know, content marketing and content strategy. But we're going to put everybody into little pigeonholes, right? So yeah. these content creators and product, they're only going to create product one sheets. These content creators and brand, they're only going to create brand content and so on and so forth. And I said, that's a mistake. I said, because what's going to happen is, is that you're going to either squander great talent or you're going to burn people out in terms of the kinds of things that they're creating. Oh, yeah. Wonderful things about writers and content creators is when they have the balance. And yes, some days we have to construct stuff and some days we get to create stuff. And that balance mm -hmm. is what's important in uh, getting to a great, you know, a great communication strategy. Yeah, I love that. And, and you're absolutely right. The way that, I mean, I've never heard that quote before, but it totally defines and, and, you, and your, your friend's challenge with her, her role is it's a, two totally different things, isn't it? When you're doing that functional stuff or you're editing, it's totally different from coming up with the ideas and being creative. And that difference between construction and creativity, I think, is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a funny thing that you can't, you know... It, uh, you know, to make it easy to, to, to sort of get right away, I use the examples of sort of technical specifications and contracts yeah. and compliance versus things like white papers or blog posts and those kinds of things, because that's just easy to sort of mentally picture. But it really yeah. doesn't have anything to do with what it is you're creating, because I can make an argument to say there is a way to do technical specifications that would be creative and wonderfully, you know, mm -hmm. that would be created content rather than constructed. There's a way to do contracts and compliance documentation that would be the same, same way. So it's less about the output, but it's the process by which it's created, right? That's the important yeah. thing is, and it sounds, how is the thing created versus is it constructed? Yeah, yeah. And it also, it's in the eye of the writer as well, isn't it? Of course, because some yeah. people, well, hopefully love, it is right. Hopefully yeah. it is. Yeah, because some people love contracts and writing legal documents and feel that's a, cr a creative, you know, they, they would great. get flow doing that. So they'd be in a creative process. Um, but for others, that's like, you know, <laughs> uh, that is construction. That is just hard construction for them. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and however, there is, a, there, is a, there is a lens to look through around what it is we're actually creating or constructing, because quite frankly, there are things that shouldn't be created that should be constructed, right? Contracts yeah. are a great example. It yeah. would be lovely to put as much creative passion as you want to in a contract, but that's not really the right vehicle for that, right? <laughs> you know, that's you know, in an invoice, you know, writing an invoice <laughs> is not the kind of place where you're looking for a lot of love no. and passion and creativity going into that. Thing. <laughs> that's the, that's the key is that there are some things that are more appropriate for one or the other, mm -hmm. given our business and given what we do. Um, mm -hmm. But then it's the approach that we take to doing it, right? So if your business is like, oh, no, we actually do want to put a lot of love and passion and creation into our contracts. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. You balance it that way. Others, not so much. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not any less important to the business that we have great contracts or great compliance materials or a great how to manual or a great, you know, web page that gives us this technical specifications of our product. All those things are important. It's yeah. just that many of those things by default or definition shouldn't be seen as wanting to be loved before they exist. It's mm -hmm. that they are useful for us or valuable to us after they exist. 
And that's the difference in terms of creating or constructing. And the important thing is, is that your content creators have a balance of both. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's so true because, you know, having been in, having run those teams, having been there myself, you know, if you, you, you want that, you want that variety in the day and indeed uh, so yeah indeed and i hope that um i hope your chum went on to doing something cool and uh, that she got what she wanted so is that is that a happy ending to the story uh you know i i think the story is yet to be finished um Ah. you know um my my colleague who left the other company has now joined another company where she is Mm -hmm. safely ensconced in a content marketing team but i have not heard from her in in some time so i'm assuming that things are going well i usually don't i usually don't hear from people until they're unhappy (laughs) (laughs) well that's the problem of being the sort of advisor you are robert you obviously have broad shoulders that people can come and cry on yeah i don't get a lot of i don't get a lot of calls going i am so happy here (laughs) let me just tell you about how safely i feel right now <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank you, Robert. And where, um, when people uh, are looking to read these kinds of things, where do you make your donuts? Ah, well, these days it seems to be at our little hovel on the internet called contentadvisory.net, which is mostly created content. There's a few constructed pieces there. <laughs> it's mostly created stuff. <laughs> and when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, we'll, I'll be uh, hanging around on LinkedIn more and more these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, LinkedIn. And, uh, and of course, I'm on Twitter as well. Splendid. And more importantly, will you be hanging out in the bar next week? Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> in the bar. Excellent. Mate. I'll see you then. Thanks very much. Thank you, Robert. And listener, I hope you're enjoying our donuts. So that's a wrap on episode 103 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jess, Stefan and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work and check out all the links in the show notes that you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Please let us know and help other people find whatever this is by dropping a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, my planned guest postponed, so I'm working on the guest schedule. But Jeff and I will continue with the effing marketing fundamentals, and Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. Hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.